0: Okay, so real quickly, I want to remind you of the bulletin cover this morning. Um, we are not all children of God. We are all, however, creations of God. Only those born of the Spirit of God and not of the will of man can truly be called sons of God. When it comes to what marks us different as Christians, again, it's you know Independence Day has been in my head for the past couple of weeks, just thinking about, well, that's the day that marks America as different than the rest of the nations, the day that America found its independence. So as I think through that and I say, well, I have to preach the gospel on Sunday, not about America, not give you a bunch of uh, details about the, the shining principles of America, All as great as they are, my role in being up here in this pulpit this morning is to tell you what makes us different as children of God? What marks us different than the rest of the nations? And I'll tell you, there is a host of false messages around us. That you know, um, Some of them have even crept into the church. It's not an unpopular thing to talk about being children of God. We hear people saying it all over. You hear different people believe they're the children of God for different reasons, um, or how to know God. You'll hear hosts host of different people talk about they know God and how they know God. Or the God they know, and you, know, you, you can begin to hear different stories, different tales. Um, that's important because in the Bible, first off, in the book of Jude, we see that we're called to defend the faith that was delivered to the apostles. Not the faith that was delivered to the 21st century church, not the faith that was delivered to the 3rd century Constantinian Catholic church. Defend the faith that was delivered to the apostles, So that's our goal in everything that we do. Second Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that we are called to demolish the strongholds that keep people from coming to the knowledge of God. So again, we see very clearly that our job in defending the faith that was delivered to the apostles is going to be to rip down things that have seemingly got in the way of the true knowledge of God. Okay, so that's, that needs to be our goal. And then finally, in Titus nine, my role is pretty much highlighted there, that the goal of a minister, the role of a minister in the church, is to encourage people in sound doctrine and rebuke those who oppose it. So if you ever hear me doing that, encouraging you in sound doctrine, what you need to believe, and rebuking those who believe things that you should not believe, please understand why. It's because Titus nine says that, that that's my role. So all of that said, what we've been doing is we've been going through a series talking about the one new man, the one body that was promised that was given, that was consummated by Christ, for Christ, in Christ, and that's what was promised to us. That is our reality, that we're living in the promise, not hoping for the promise. Hopefully you've been catching that as we've been going through this series. Last week we talked about um, being the children of God, and namely one of the texts I brought up was 1 John 3, 2. And if you remember, we are now children of God, but what we shall be has not yet been revealed to us, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. And I clarified for you last week what that's simply talking about is the life that you now enjoy in Christ. You will not die. You can never die. You've moved from death to life. Um, If you need verses, you know, 1 John chapter 4, um, the epistle of John, 1 John, Raven. Um, The the epistle of John, uh, 1 John, and um, the gospel of John. um, You know, everybody, real quickly, I'll clarify. Uh, Everybody, when you say 1 John, people think it's the first book that you read about John in the Bible. No. 1 John is an epistle found at the last part of the Bible, whereas the gospel of John is found first. I'm sorry, Raven, had a pick on you. A little Bible study humor there. So, um, okay. So um, we could be a bit charismatic here, right? Okay. So with that said, when we read 1 John 3, 2, what it's talking about is the reality that we have in Christ. We know that we are children of God. Again, put yourself in that first century. We know that we are the children of God, but we don't know what's going to happen to us. We're being beaten down. We're being downtrodden at every turn we go. And it doesn't look like we're the victorious people. Again, you you joined the church in the first century. It looked like you were joining the losing team. So what are we going to be? What's going to come of us? And the apostle John is saying, we know that we will be like him. And what happened to Christ when he suffered and was persecuted and was beat down and downtrodden? He died, right? But there's something else that happened. Hopefully, you know, that's not the end of the story. He rose on the third day. He ascended into the glory of God. We are like him. You could beat us down. You could break us to pieces. You could destroy us. You could bury us. But I'll tell you what will happen. We will rise again. And that's the people of God's promise. That's what 1 John 3, 2 is literally telling you. That if we get beat down, if we don't know what's going to come of us, we know that we will be like him. And today, hopefully, you feel like you're like him. And if you don't, we're going to celebrate that reality in the Lord's table where you can feel like you're in him. You're alive with him. That's the gospel. So hopefully you caught that from last week. Now, what I want to do is I want to break down a couple points from 1 John 3, 2 and invite you into a better understanding of what it means to be a child of God. So in 1 John 3, 2, we are now the children of God. I want to take you to a couple passages, or um, you could just listen in. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says this. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So again, that spirit of slavery, if you've been following along with the One New Man series, the body, I've been explaining to you that the body that you were in formerly made you slaves to death. You were either a Jew, and you were under law, right, and you were dead because the law told you you were dead, or you were a Gentile, and you were so far from God that you had no other option but to be dead. That, that's pretty much, you were ignorant, you believed in false gods, you believed... Um, I'm sure we could go around the room and everybody has some strange things that you believed before you came to Christ, right? Maybe you were God. Maybe there was no God, right? There's a host of different things that people believe. So right here, what we're seeing in Romans 8 is a promise to the church at Rome from the Apostle Paul saying, you were slaves, right? Gentiles, Jews. You were slaves to that identity that you had outside of Christ. However, now that you're in Christ, you cry out, Abba, Father. We are now children of God through Jesus Christ. You see, that's something that we want to make sure we get clear this morning, is that we are children of God through Jesus Christ. That's how we become children of God. Another text that highlights that is Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. And there we read, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. and you know, That way I don't have to say it. It's the scriptures. You can blame it on the scriptures. Galatians 3.26. You are sons of God through Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.5, a text that we're going to look at a little bit this morning, says this. When I get there, I'll tell you what it says. Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. So why did God predestine? Well, did God predestine us as sons of children of God? Yes. Hopefully everybody here realizes that God predestined you. You were elected aforetime for the glory of God. Why? Because it's his will. That's it. It says it right there in that verse. Ephesians 1, five. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. That's why you're a child of God. You might say, why would he call me? Because it was his will. That's sovereign will, sits above all things. That's how it works. That's God. So you have been called by him. So now when we look back at that text in 1 John 3, 2, what we shall be, or how I look at that text is what shall come of us, right? That's pretty much what I see the Apostle John saying there. We are children of God, but we don't know what's going to come of us. Because again, if I call myself a child of God, I imagine most of you would look at me and say, well, you should be thriving. You should be prospering. You should look like the winner. You're the child of God. However, again, notice the church in the first century. They didn't look like winners. And it didn't seem like things were about to get any better as they looked at the coming of the Lord on the horizon. It looked like, you know, there's going to be a rise of false teachers. We're going to be the the worst of the worst. What's going to come of us? And the Apostle uh, Paul and John make it very clear. Two texts that I would bring out in uh, 1 John 2.28 and John 17, verse 24, talks about that we will be glorified like him. You see, what will come of us? there's your encouragement. We will be like him. We'll be in glory. We're going to be raised up. We're going to be victorious. Or to use another phrase that I like in the Bible, we will be changed. Remember the Apostle Paul saying that? Talking about the resurrection of the dead. He said the living will be changed. And that term there, the Greek term is alasso. And in the lasso, that term means to be of one mind and then to be of another. So what happened in the first century when the coming of the Lord happened? The saints went from glory in Christ to glory in Christ. They went from glory to glory. And what that means is they were bold. They were confident. We're correct. We have the true understanding of the knowledge of God. They've seen that temple fall. They've seen all those details happen, and they would have been of one mind. Remember, again, they don't know. We're confused. We do not know what's going to come of us. However, when that coming came, and the saints were gathered in Pella, and they, all over the world, again, known world, Rome to Jerusalem, when they were all there, they would have known we were right. We don't need to be ashamed at his coming. We, we indeed listen to his wisdom and now we are in him. We shall be like him. Eternal life. We shall have the presence of God eternally. Jesus Christ didn't die, go to Sheol, wait for a future promise. He died, went down there, pronounced that I am the winner. Again, not a real place, but you catch the concept. Declared victory over death, ascended into the glory of God and we shall be like him. That's our promise as the children of God. That we have the same blessings that Christ had. He went from glory to glory. He didn't suffer a separation from God. He didn't have to wait for a promise one day. No, instead, we have that reward. If I may share a couple of verses, um, Matthew chapter five verse eight. Um, I hope most of you um, know that one: the pure shall see God. You know, you, you, the children of God shall be pure, and if you're pure, you shall see God. Um, Revelation chapter twenty-two verse four also talks about being like Him and seeing God, and it says this. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. So again, that's how we're like him. We see him, we know him, seeing, Jesus, seeing God's face, seeing God face to face. Hopefully when you read that passage, you say, oh, that means that I am going to be known by him. I'm going to be in him. I'm going to be confident. I'm not going to feel shame. I'm not going to feel condemnation. Instead, I'm going to know I'm in Christ. Those are the things that you should have in Jesus Christ. Those are our promises as the children of God. That's eternal life. Again, eternal life is that you know God. You could have life, and life is that you don't know God at all. You just live here and you die, mere existence. Abundant life, John 10.10, 10, that Jesus Christ came to bring is that we can know life here, but we can also know God where we have eternal life. That's a John 17.3, that eternal life is this, that they would know God through Jesus Christ whom he sent. That's our reality, that we now know God through Jesus Christ. We have an eternal communion with God as Jesus Christ has with the Father. That's our promise. Again, hopefully you really get to see that that is a great promise, that we'll never be separated from that, that we were called, we didn't choose to come into this reality, that we are his forever, enjoying him eternally forever. So our current series has been to bring clarity in regards to this one hope. That is the hope. Hopefully you've caught that throughout this whole series. The hope was to be with God, to know God forever forever. To never have a moment where we're separated from him. To never have a moment where we have to feel shame or condemnation or doubt. We don't have to worry about, you know, sadly there's some folks in the Christian church that think they need to worry about whether or not they're a child of God. They feel that their salvation might be taken from them if they do the wrong things. The whole Bible is detailing that that is not the case. That God has elected his children through Jesus Christ and that we now enjoy that reality in him. And you're going to see that outlined in some text I'm going to bring up here in a moment. So, For today, what I want to do is I want to defend the faith. I want to go against the false gospels and um, hopefully wrap up this sermon series of what that one new man, that one body meant in the first century, and ultimately what that means for us today. Mankind has been believing and telling lies in regards to man's role in this world, those who know God, those who are God's children, what will resurrect man from his dead state and bring him into the presence of God. What what is man's proper identity? What is man's proper role? What should man be doing? How does man gain eternal life? All of those things. There's like five thousand different stories that'll tell you how to get them, how to be a child of God, how to live like God. How to you know? I had somebody recently tell me that they knew God better than me. I didn't know what that meant. Um, but you know, again, that that's a very popular thing. Or you know, you're not a child of God. I am. Well, how? By what standard are people talking about these things? Again, it's a very popular thing in our society. I actually this week I had somebody tell me. We're all children of God. I said, no, we're not. And I just, okay, that's that's wrong. We're not all children of God. In the context of the scriptures we will read through this morning in the New Testament, two major false teachings that were brought forth in that time, what their their identities that they identified by was, well, us Greeks, we have the wisdom of God. We are wise. We are a smart people. We have this philosophy that teaches us about the gods. And hopefully everybody in the room knows that was wrong. That was false. That was false teaching, Greek mythology. Spend some time reading about Zeus and uh, a host of the other strange Roman Greek gods, and hopefully that'll be sufficient. Um, But then the Jews, their problem was, well, we have this teaching from our forefathers on how we're supposed to live. And I don't care what Messiah, what, you know, God comes down. This is what we're holding to, if you caught that. We don't care what God comes down. We don't care if the guy that gave us this comes down and tells us, that's not the case. You're not living it right. We're still going to live this way. And that's pretty much what the Jews' problem was. That was their identity. We're going to live in this law. We're going to live by these things that Moses gave us. And, you know, whatever you say about Jesus Christ is wrong. So those were your two main identities. You are either a Jew under law. You were a Gentile that was stuck in all kinds of crazy mythology and, um, and false philosophy. So, again, both of them had an explanation of how you were a child of God or the gods um, you know the Greeks believed they were children of the God. they had their own creation story of what man 's purpose was, what man 's role is, um, how you became a child of God ultimately through growing in your knowledge and philosophy and strange things and then the Jews had theirs. We are children of Abraham because we stick to the law of Moses. that would have been their their claim. you know We are of that lineage of Abraham, that literal bloodline, so that was their identity. it was all in the flesh it was the, literally in the flesh of their identity and They believed they were children of God through that. Um, In our day, we actually have a couple new problems. We have uh, everybody's God, or everybody's a child of God, universalism, right? And then um, even looking at the events of yesterday in Bangladesh, they went around asking people, well, if you're a child of God, recite a verse from the Quran." And that's another problem we have in our day, Um, a rise of different religions and and teachings that would teach you how to be a child of God, or in, in that respect, it would be that you're not a child of God that God has no children. Um, Then we have another problem in regards, if the gospel is the resurrection of the dead, why do I have uh, Pastor Bruce Bennett telling me uh, that the resurrection I'm preaching is wrong? That's the gospel. Um, And then I have another pastor who tends to be a preterist preacher telling me that I've ruined preterism because I've been preaching this entire series that you've been listening to uh, for the past three months. Sorry, folks. Um, But you see, the problem there is that there's only one gospel. Somebody's wrong. Somebody is very wrong about the gospel. And I believe I've given you sufficient evidence to see that I'm right. And if I didn't, I'm going to give it to you a little bit more this morning. I and mean, then finally, what is Abraham's hope? Because whatever we're living in, whatever reality that we're claiming we have with God right now, if Abraham didn't hope for it, it's not the gospel. Catch the power of that. If whatever I'm telling you this morning, if Abraham did not hope for what I'm telling you is fulfilled in Jesus Christ today, that we are now in Christ, we are in the body of Christ, that we are in the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, If that is not what Abraham hoped for, and I'm preaching it to you, it's a false gospel. So it has to be what Abraham hoped for. So with that said, I'm going to take us to a couple texts this morning. The first one's going to be the book of Colossians. And I'm going to explain a little bit and I'm going to show you some details in the text. The Apostle Paul writes to the saints at Colossus, establishing that they are walking in the truth. It's a very encouraging letter. He tells them, You are walking in the truth, you're in the light. If you remember from 1 John, we're called to walk in the light. And if you understand what that means, it simply means to walk in clarity. That you should not walk with shame and doubt as the Jews did. The Gentiles, they were kind of just very puffed up. They really didn't have shame or doubt. They just felt they were the greatest, you know, the wisest people on the planet. Um, However, the Jews, they they needed to be shown that theirs was false, that they were in darkness, that they were not children of of God, and most of them understood that. They were confused. They were shamed. They were condemned by their own law. Their law declared them dead. The Apostle Paul, hopefully as you've been following along in this series, the Apostle Paul makes that adamantly clear to them, that you're dead under law. And in Romans 1 through 3, he establishes both groups. Gentiles, dead in your wisdom. Jews, dead under law. Both groups. Again, we we would continue the list today. We would say, if you believe in Islam, you're dead under Islam. If you believe in universalism, you're dead because you're making it up. Um, You know, we could go down the list of false religion and pretty much just discredit every one of those false religions. There's only one way to be a child of God, and it's through Jesus Christ. Hopefully I've, the scriptures I've given you this morning were sufficient for that. So in Colossians, he's encouraging them, telling them that they are walking in the truth. Um, the goal of his writing is that they would be filled. Catch this. The goal of the Apostle Paul's writing to the church is that they would be filled with the knowledge of him, and that that knowledge, that clarity that they have would be increasing. And if you need a proof text, uh, Colossians one nine. it says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you see, that's the goal of this writing, to get them to have a better understanding of the things of God. Clarity, not confusion not giving them a bunch of confusion about a bunch of different things, clarity in regards to what the knowledge and the will of God is. In establishing the inheritance of the saints in light, the Apostle Paul details their necessity of being in Christ. That's the goal of this entire writing. I literally just summed up the entire writing for you. What he goes on to say is that redemption and the forgiveness of sins are found in Christ. And I'm going to show you that. Here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, first, it says, He is the head of the body. Remember the body? We've been talking about a body, haven't we? He is the head of the body. There's your verse. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will have come, will have first place in everything. Catch the power of that verse for a minute. He is the head of the body. So you know we've been talking about the body. What body are we talking about here? The church. Well, actually, the good part about that, Kevin, is you're not a heretic because the verse says that. He is the head of the body, the church. It literally tells you that right there. And he is the beginning. Christ was the first to receive what we, were, we are to receive. We're going to be like him, right? He was the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. Why? You ready? So that he himself will have come to have first place in everything. The goal of our worship, the goal of gathering here this morning, is to give Christ the first place in everything. You know this is the first day of the week? We're giving Christ the first place in everything. We end our prayers in Jesus' name and giving him first place in everything. Hopefully you end your day in Christ, giving him first place in everything. Hopefully you wake up in the morning and you pray to God, giving him the first place in everything. That's the goal. The goal of being in this body and being in this reality that we now have is to be in Christ and to give him the first place in everything. And if you do that, you're promised blessings. You're promised the righteousness that no man can do by law but instead we can do because we're in him. We've given him first place in everything. That's the goal of our faith. Another verse in verse 22. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So he's brought us into his body so that we would be beyond reproach, that we would not have shame, that we can have confidence in approaching God. Hopefully, that's why you gather a Christian church, not go to a Judaic temple or a, a, you know, a Muslim mosque. Hopefully, you came to a Christian church this morning because you said, i want going to give Christ first place in everything, and I believe that it's in and through him I'm a son of God, and it's in and through him that I have redemption, forgiveness, that I'm beyond reproach and I'm blameless. And if you've done that, you came to church for the right reason this morning because that's what we have in Christ. That's what this is all about. It's about giving Christ first place, being beyond reproach, having eternal life with God through Jesus knowing why and how it was established, knowing that my identity, I was dead in sin, but in and through Jesus Christ, I could become righteous. It's the only way that we'll find life, the only way. That's our gospel, that you must come into the body of Christ, that he reconciled all things in his body, that we would be blameless. That's the church. That's the resurrection. That's the one new man that was formed by Christ. Another verse here in Colossians, Colossians Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which was proclaimed in all creatures under heaven, which I, Paul, was made a minister. And hopefully you remember when we were going through the book of Acts 24, Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 28, the apostle Paul very clearly tells you the gospel he proclaims. It's the gospel of the resurrection of the dead. It's the gospel of not only the living saints going from death to life, but it's also the gospel of the dead ones, old covenant Israel going from death to life in and through the works of Jesus Christ, through his consummated ministry. You're going to see why that's important here in a minute. And then just two more verse, uh, one more verse from Colossians chapter 1. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when people ask me, well then what was the hope of the first century church? It was that Christ would be formed in and through his people. Remember, the book of Colossians is a corporate letter written to a corporate people. So when it says Christ in you, what is it saying? Christ in us, what we celebrate. Actually, we're going to celebrate that here in a moment. We're going to celebrate Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. So again, we see a lot of false teaching, even in the first century, in regards to being in this identity. And I'm going to show you real quickly, uh, Colossians chapter 2. Listen to what the Apostle Paul is arguing against. He says, I say this, that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. Greeks, right? You've got these Greeks coming around with this strange philosophy. And then he goes on to say in verses 6 through 8, Therefore, just as you received Jesus Christ, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So again, you see the whole goal here is do not allow false views of false teachings to lead you away from Christ. Do not allow this legalistic Jewish stuff you're going to see here in, uh, what is it, verses 11 through 17. Um, he goes on to describe how it's not you don't need to be physically circumcised that instead your circumcision is found in your baptism in Christ. That is your circumcision. It's that you're buried with Christ, you are now raised up, you are brought into his covenant body. You don't need a physical circumcision or all the things that Jews would have focused on to make you a child of God. Instead you come in here and you know, matter of fact, I'm just going to allow the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2 to explain it. He says this, In him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removing of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through the faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses. So again, you see, it's all about coming into Christ, coming into this body and finding your identity in Christ, rather than as a Gentile with all the wisdom, uh, rather than as a Jew with the law, be in Christ. Our new bodily, is, bodily experience, so to speak, what you're called to be a slave to, remember that term, Soma? A body is your slaves to a system. Our new bodily, bodily experience is to be in him. And being in him would actually lead us away from fleshly indulgences, which is carnal, you know, carnal things. At that time, again, the two carnal things that were very prevalent was the wisdom, the, the Greek wisdom and philosophy, and the Jewish law. Those would have been the two things that they would have, the carnal mind would have wanted to indulge in and find their identity in. You know, all the, you know that the things you indulge in are the things that give you your identity? You know that? If you think about it, you spend all your time doing it, that's your identity. So if you spend all of your time following the law of Moses, well, where's your identity in the law of Moses? If you spend all of your time with the, the strange philosophers talking about how their gods, all their Greek gods, and how you're a child of all the Greek gods, that's your identity. If you spend your time meditating on the truth of Christ, or as the book of Colossians says, being rooted and being built up in him, then where's your identity? In Christ. That's where we want our identity because that's how we become children of God. And, and that ultimately should be the importance for each and every one of us. So moving into the book of Philippians. Hopefully you see the book of Colossians right there. It established the main point of the book of Colossians is what you, need, what you need in order to be established in the knowledge of God is Jesus Christ. You need to be in Christ, in this body. Nothing about a new body, no new hopes. The book of Philippians, same thing. If I may, I'm just going to read you one portion in the book of Philippians. It's going to be in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to show you a text that talks about the resurrection of the dead. Verses. Chapter 3, starting at verse 14. The Apostle Paul says this, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by the same standard which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you now have. For many walk, as I have often told you, and they are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our body, the body of our humble state, into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Again, he will make our body like his body. What was the state of the first century church? Were they living as the children of God? You you think they were shining as a great example of the children of God in prosperity? Sin and death. Well, again, during, well, the children of God in the first century, their description would have been beaten, downtrodden, and oppressed. The first century church, right? They, they're, being, they're not living victoriously as children of God. If we're saying children of God, or, you know, every verse I read to you, it sounded like it was a good thing to be a child of God. However, if you would have looked at the first century church, it looked like they had a lowly, beaten-down body. And what is the Apostle Paul saying here? That when Christ appears, our assembly, our body that looks beaten, downtrodden, the losing team will be glorified, that we will be made like him, that he will transform our body to be like his body, that, again, didn't suffer death, that eternally lives with God. So that's, again, that's our reality as the church. That is the resurrection of the dead. That is the gospel, that you can find life and life to the full in and through Jesus Christ. And all of these arguments, hopefully you see right there in Philippians 2, it's a corporate hope. It's a corporate hope to the church of Philippi that they would be made like Christ, that their assembly would not any longer be beaten, downtrodden, but instead they would be victorious. They would live with God forever. And then I'm just going to end on this point here. In talking about Abraham and the children of God, Abraham was before the law. There's no doubt about it. We know that Abraham was before the law. However, there was something that was before Abraham. Adam. Adam. And if you read the resurrection text in your Bible, they're not talking about from the time of Abraham to the time of Christ. They're talking about the transition from the time of Adam to the time of Christ. Abraham wanted to be like Adam. He wanted what Adam had. Again, that's what you're following through your whole Bible, is you're following a story of Adam had righteousness. He had a relationship with God. He had eternal life, to use that phrase. And then, unfortunately, sin entered in, and he lost it. And then you get into the story of, you know, you follow your Bible, you have Noah, you have um, all these details, and then you have Abraham. Abraham is the first part of a story, if you go all the way back to, um, where is it, Genesis, um, early on in Genesis, we'll say that, Genesis 13, roughly, Genesis 11, um, you you go back to those texts, what you have is Abraham's living in a land worshiping idols, right? He's reminded very clearly of his heritage in Adam. Yeah, one that used to be right. They had it right with God at one point. However, here we are stuck in idolatry, and God goes to Abraham, and he says, get out of this land. Go to a land that I will give your forefathers. Right there's the story of Abraham. That's it. He was willing to leave a land where his identity was, his idols were, all his false gods, and say, I'm going to believe in God, and God is going to send me to a place that I will eternally live with him. And sure enough, we follow the the Bible. You know that the sons of Israel, who are the later descendants of Abraham, that they're given the land. And all the promises that were promised to their forefathers, you read those first couple chapters of Joshua, they're all fulfilled. However, the question is, Abraham hoped to be like Adam. He wanted to live in the land, prospering with God, and to have God's presence with him eternally, what we call the kingdom of God. That's what that's called. To have God's presence with us eternally would be the kingdom of God. Abraham, according to the book of Hebrews, if you were to do this studying from Hebrews chapter 11 into Hebrews 13, Abraham hoped for a city with no foundations. Again, that city is very clearly described for us in Galatians 4. It's the new covenant, the new Jerusalem that comes out of heaven from God. Abraham hoped for that. That was Abraham's desire, to live in the kingdom of God and to have the presence of God restored as Adam had it. Abraham is simply a part of the story. He's one of the forefathers of Israel. That it was reminded to Israel that they would have to leave what they were comfortable with. They would have to leave behind idolatry. They would have to leave behind their identity to get the promise. Abraham is the beginning of that reality. He left his land, his father's land, to go to a new land and to experience the blessings of God. However, we know that it was never fulfilled in a natural way. Abraham's descendants were, that wasn't the goal or the promise to Abraham. The promise to Abraham was that he would have children above all the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. And you are those children. Here, Galatians 3.26, the children of God are known through Jesus Christ. The children of Abraham, Whereas uh, John the Baptist would say it, John, uh, G- God could raise up children of Abraham out of these stones. And uh, sorry to refer to all of you as rocks this morning. But however, that's the gospel, that God could take things that meant nothing, Gentiles that were far off, people that were far off from his presence, and he can make children of God not out of a bloodline, not out of your personal choice to choose God today or to declare yourself a child of God, no. Children of God would be made in and through Jesus Christ, by the will of God, not by the will of man, and there's nothing that can take us away from that truth. That's good news. That's the gospel. And I'm going to end with just a quick declaration about being the children of God since we're moving into a a day where we, we want to have our identity as Christians to shine brighter than our identity as Americans. And I'm going to say this. It's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, somebody I feel could speak to us in this regard. And he says this. The followers of Jesus have been called to peace. Again, the book of Ephesians talks about this bodily hope that we now enjoy. Jesus Christ was the peace between Jew and Gentile. He gave Jew and Gentile life in him. He made Jew and Gentile children of God. When Jesus called them, they found their peace. Jesus is their peace. But we are told we must not have peace, but we must also make it. The kingdom of Christ is a kingdom of peace. And those in the community of Christ greet one another with the greeting of peace. They preserve community where others would break it. They renounce aggressivity on their own behalf and quietly suffer hatred and injustice. In this way, they overcome evil with good, and thus bring about the peace of God in the midst of a world that is hell-bent on hatred. Because they are so caught up in the work of Christ for peace, because their mission is to do the work of the Son of God, therefore, they are God's own children. Please join me in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for such a great calling to be called the children of God, that it would not be a decision of our own, but that by the will of God, we would be brought into the truth of Jesus Christ, be brought into the one new man that you formed, the mystery of the ages that you created for us, that we would have life to the full, eternal life in you, living with you forever, enjoying your presence forever, and knowing that no one can take that away from us, Lord. Lord, lead us away from lies, false doctrines, and mistruths that tell us about how we can be your children and encourage us to further be your children by looking into your word, better understanding who we are in you, And lead us to be edified, to be ever-increasing, and continually showing forth your love, your honor, your peace to this world. Lord, we thank you for such a great reality, and we continually offer praise to your name. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. This time I'm going to invite our ushers to come, or our elders to come forward, and we will participate in the Lord's Supper.